as coaches, we need to have an open mind. We need to be open about what we're teaching. We need to always question what we're teaching. Always ask why, you know, challenge a little bit the status quo. So when I started the podcast, I wanted to call it outside, you know, baseball outside the box mm -hmm. um, from that standpoint, you know, that you're thinking outside the box and not always what you've been taught in the past. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. During this episode, I interviewed Peter Caliendo, host of Baseball Outside the Box, which is an educational podcast. Pete is also a former coach for the 1999 Intercontinental Cup for USA Baseball, president of Caliendo Sports International, vice president and board member of International Sports Group, and he is also on the technical committee for Confederation of Pan American Baseball. On the show, Pete pulls from his 37 years of baseball experience, providing tips, advice, and training styles that he has learned from many other countries and cultures, including Cuba, Japan, and the Dutch. A few things I learned from Pete. He worked with Baseball Schools USA, setting up over 60 schools in the Chicago area, and he was one of the first ever coaches giving courses in Cuba prior to the revolution and after. You're going to love this episode. And here is Pete Caliendo. Pete, thanks for joining us today. Jonathan, thanks for having me, man. I've listened to your show and it's a great honor to be on it. So looking forward to it. Well, I, I, I really do appreciate you listening. And I also listen to your show and, and while we're talking about it, your, your show is called baseball outside the box. And so what, what, you know, what was your thought process in going into deciding to name your, uh, podcast that, and, and, you know, what's the meaning behind it? You know, it's interesting. Um, I come, you know, from a long coaching background in the seventies, so I'm a little older than you are. And, you know, coming from that background, we, we taught a lot of, you know, basics and we taught a lot of, you know, same thing over and over. And we taught what people taught us, you know, and then as I got into my career, I started thinking and not just thinking, but people opened up my minds and I started thinking, you know, why are we teaching things that we've been teaching in the past? Um, you know, it, it could be okay, but there's maybe better things out there. So, th you know, from that, it kind of evolved. And I thought, you know what, a podcast would be a great way one, on a selfish standpoint, one to learn because you're going to have great people on there, hopefully that you'll learn from. And two, to get the word out that, you know what, as coaches, we need to have an open mind. We need to be open about what we're teaching. We need to always question what we're teaching. Always ask why. Um, you know, challenge a little bit the status quo because you know, as you know, Jonathan, baseball is a traditional sport. So it's been traditional for many years. You know, simple thing, even running rules or, or technique and all that. But now you're seeing large changes. So when I started the podcast, I wanted to call it outside. You know, baseball outside the box. Mm -hmm. um, from that standpoint, you know, that you're thinking outside the box and not always what you've been taught in the past. No, that's wonderful. And, you know, I, I would love to hear a little bit about your baseball background. And I've, you know, I've listened to your show quite a bit and, and I've seen you travel the world. And I, I, again, you, you may have the best job in the world getting to teach baseball and coach baseball in different parts of the world and in, introduce that. But tell us how you got there. And, and, you know, what is your baseball coaching background? 
Dan, it's been a long, long haul and a fun one and a very lucky one because, you know, you got to have some luck too. And you got to stay in the game and try to sacrifice a little bit. And I think we, you know, all of us that have been in the game for a while have done all that. And, you know, I was lucky at 15, basically make a long story short. I, you know, saw an ad in, at uh, baseball digest, Mickey on baseball school. And I started at a baseball school and my parents allowed me to go, you know, they didn't come from great means. And they, they said, if you really love baseball, you know, we'll send you to the school, you know, and who goes to the school, the people that want to get better. Right. I wasn't a great player. And then everything kind of snowballed from there because at the baseball school, there were kids from all over the world, all over the U S and the best coaches at that time, um, that went, there were teachers there. Um, so I got a lot of great mentors there. I became a counselor. I was then a, uh, you know, from a student to a counselor, to a, uh, teacher. I started teaching at 17 years old under, under people at the baseball school, still while playing. And then at the same time, I became director of instructions and things kind of snowballed from there. And, and that's how the passion of coaching came about. You know, sooner or later, you might realize that your skills aren't there to, to go to the highest level of baseball. And, but you still want to stay in the game. And, you know, Mickey Owen Baseball School allowed me to do that because from there I went to Chicago and we started a, a pilot program, Baseball Schools USA, which allowed us to set up over 60 schools in the Chicagoland area. Actually, we were first ones before some people might know the Doyle Brothers, you know, and then here in Chicago, we have the White Sox Academy, but we, we did this in the 80s and um, it was outstanding. It was standardization of a baseball program where we had baseball schools for young kids all in different suburbs and uh, it was a great program. So that's where, the, that's where everything kind of started and snowballed and the passion for coaching. And I was very lucky because I've had some great mentors and coaching that allowed me to continue in the game. No, I love that. And, and I love getting to hear your, your background to, to just kind of set you up to, to where you are today. And, and that's, I think that we are a product of our past experiences. And, and one thing that, that really draws me to your podcast is getting to see how different countries run baseball practices. And I, I know that you're in, it seems like you basically live in Japan. And so let, let's go into some different countries and, and what they're doing that's a little bit different. And like you mentioned, you know, sometimes we as, as baseball coaches, we we uh, we go on what we had always done. And so it, it's different seeing the different perspectives based on the different countries that are doing different things. So let's start with Japan and then we can kind of roll through some of the other experiences that you've had. But what does Japan do differently? And, and you know, what what kind of is the reasoning behind it? Yeah, absolutely. And also want to mention, you know, not only different countries, but different sports. And I know you're well versed in this area, learning from not just different countries, but ja Japan in, 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 in itself. You know, what's unique about Japan, and it's a great culture, obviously, great people, very organized. Um, you'll see that, you know, their attention to detail, it's hard to match anywhere in the world. Uh, I don't care who you are. If your attention to detail is at the top level, you know, I remember being with Tony LaRusso and his attention to detail was you know, one of the best I've ever seen. And there's been some others, obviously, but the Japanese are just incredible. They think ahead, their attention to details there. Um, are they perfect? Absolutely not. They make, you know, obviously they overpitch, you know, we can, that's a whole topic in itself. Um, but their training is incredible because, you know, they kind of break the status quo because as you know, you just came from a, a great conference, uh, the Florida baseball ranch, you know, about motor learning process and all that. Um, and I brought this up on my show before about Japan. I said, geez, we better not tell them about that training because right now, you know, they're a block, they're a block country. They train basically block, 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 block all the way through. I mean, they do the same thing over and over and over again. You know, if you take batting practice for an hour, they take it for two hours. If you take a hundred ground balls, they take 400. 
you know, they just overdo it and overanalyze everything. I mean, as far as understanding the body, they understand the body really well. They, you know, they have to maximize their body, right? Because they're, they're not really big um, when it comes to as far as tall. You're seeing more and more Japanese players a little bit taller than you've seen here in the big leagues. But most of them are not that tall. But, boy, are they strong. We did some analysis of Japanese players, their size, their hamstrings, their quads. You know their core area. Um, some of the strongest athletes that you'd be, you know, you'd see in the world. And so, how they organize things, how they train. You know, they're. You know, we talk about habits, creating a great habit. Well, they create very good habits right away at a very young age. Now, do they take it to the extreme? Sometimes, yeah. With ten-year-olds, they can be pretty tough on young kids. Now, and they've started to change their theory a little bit in that because they've had some major issues as the kids get older with suicide. Um, not just not in baseball, that's in all sports. So the Japanese, you know, from, from their culture to how they train, to how they respect the game, as many times I've been there, 20, 25 times, I can't even count, I'm always learning something, not just from the baseball, but from their society in general. Um, and I just think there's a lot we can learn from there when it comes to their training. So, you know, little things like, you know, we talk about, uh, you've heard recently that a new, a change. And we always thought about this. Why are we taking batting practice regular? You know, why, why aren't we doing something different, which you do, right? You do batting practice with different pitches, Well, they've been doing that for a long time. Um, they've been doing it from 10 years old, 11 years old. They've been setting up stations. I know they've had stations where they have three batting cages at the 12 year old level. One station might have a machine, another live pitcher, another bunt situation. Um, you know, so their type of training is a little different. Um, and they've, they've kind of done some things that we're already do. We're starting to do now. They've already done them 50 years ago. I remember, you know, we talk about the weighted balls, uh, weighted balls. I remember Ron Wolf for, I don't know, 20 years ago, I was at a convention in Iowa speaking and he was there for the first time speaking about weighted balls and other programs. I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, wow, the Japanese have had, um, you know, uh, fiberglass sticks that they've used as a weighted ball and they've hung on to it to, to strengthen their decelerator, to strengthen certain areas of the arm, to stretch certain areas of the arm. So I think they've, in some ways, they've been ahead of us in a lot of uh, training, but in some ways they've also been very, very basic and also very old, if you want to call it old school, um, where they stick to the fundamental. And when I said the word habits, you know, you watch them in games, they don't have to think because they've already gone through that play a thousand times. So they react real fast to that situation. And that's why they're very good at it. And they concentrate on the basics. You, what makes them strong? Their pitching, their defense, um, their ability to bunt, you know, which I know we don't like as much here in the U.S., um, but their ability to bunt uh, and move runners over. If they can get a couple runs on you right away, the pitching and defense will do the rest of the work. And that's kind of their philosophy. So that's a little bit about Japan. There's a lot more to it, but in a nutshell, hopefully that helped a little bit. I love that. And, and you know, one of the best, actually the best man at my <laughs> wedding, uh, he was he got to AAA and, and decided to make the jump to Japan and uh, take in mind now this guy's probably 6'4", 275 pounds and and so I, I, we were texting back and forth whenever he was over there and, and I said what's their BP like and he goes again b- big guy like big big guy so he goes it is completely exhausting <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> like he, and you know what all the all their training is exhausting and I think if somebody wants to get a good get a good idea about Japanese baseball if you don't get a chance to see it just watch Mr. Baseball mm-hmm. that's what we do when we take trips you know overseas and our kids go there to play we show them Mr. Baseball cuz the 90% of that's pretty realistic great oh, movie that's interesting, and you know, I I'm I am a a huge uh, component of having efficient practices, and not necessarily like the Japanese style six hour practices, but I know that they get 
a lot out of their practices. And so take, take us through some different strategies that you think that we can steal in the U.S. I mean, I know that, that they're very routine oriented and they're very efficient, uh, except sometimes with their time, but they, they do do reps really well. Like they, you, like you mentioned, they, they've done it a thousand times. So what are some different things that you've seen that I can steal from you that you've stolen from them? Well, a uh, couple things. One, you know, how they take batting practice uh, according to, you know, what they'll do is they'll start off sometimes with, you know, fastballs first, then change-ups, then off-speed pitches. Um, then, and, you know, the next round they'll mix it up because they want them to see it first. And then the next round they'll mix it. And then the final round they'll actually, you know, uh, treat it as an at-bat. So there's always a challenger. And I know you talk about that a lot on your show about – setting up challenges for um, each drill that you're working on. Um, so that's one area of how they do their batting practice. Um, you know, situations where they try to create real situations for everything they're working on. So if they're working on, you know, uh, a pitcher catcher situation, well, they've got umpires there to give you an idea. Well, prior to our games and we go there and these are amateur games, they will take their umpires and come to our bullpen to look at our pitcher warming up. Now, I'm not sure I'd highly recommend that with some of the pitchers I've had, you know, because they actually stand in the batter's boxes and they stand behind home plate. So you have three umpires. And what they're doing is they're analyzing the pitcher and getting ready for them, you know, to prepare for the game. So they know the pitcher better. And the S of the pitcher knows the strike zone that they're going to be using in that particular game because the Japanese strike zone is a little different. So they try to create those situations uh, as much as they can. So anything that they can think of, uh, I'll give you another one. And, um, and I think this is a big one. I think it's real important for all levels. You know, when they take batting practice, their outfielders are not, you know, you, they don't have 20 outfielders, you know, getting batting practice. Uh, and I'm talking at the younger levels now at the major league level might be a little different. Um, but at the younger levels, they'll have three outfielders and then they'll have two right behind each one. They'll have a bucket there because may, they may not throw the ball in and they're, actually reacting off every pitch live. Now, I know we've done that in the States also, but the way I like it is that all three of them are reacting and then whoever gets the ball puts it in the bucket and then they go to the end of the line and it starts all over again. And next, so that way there's no waiting around. They've got enough guys reacting because you don't know who's going to play the outfield, who's going to play infield at young levels. So they actually, and that's what's good about the Japanese, because they're so fundamentally strong, you can move their guys around a lot more. Um, when it comes to positions to where if you look at a lot of times in the U.S., you know, you got to retrain somebody for from going from the infield to the outfield. In Japan, you don't have to because they can play catch with the best of them. Now, how they play catch also uh, is a little different. They still play pepper, but um, how they play catch is a little different. You know, they sometimes they'll use two baseballs where they're throwing two baseballs, so they're concentrating more. Sometimes they will uh, play a game you know, where they're putting tags down. They're always trying to create situations, even during their warmups. So those are some unique areas that I think can, can help some coaches uh, understand, you know, how you can do things a little bit differently, but pretty much they're pretty, they're pretty basic. They're not, uh, you're not going to see, you know, things that are just way out there. Now they'll do some things in hitting where they'll, they hit off of a, you know, off of a box, a, a, wood, a wood box, you know, where they're working on the right leg being on a wood box and, coming down slowly. So they're timing the pitches and they're strengthening their backside. You know, Sada Haro prior to games used to, uh, you know, uh, train for hours before a game, even after games, there are times he, he'd be training on one leg, standing on one leg for as long as he could. They said he did it for hours. Um, I saw him one time take a piece of paper, put it on a string 
and with a sword from the art of a kendo, you know, and I'm not recommending you go out and get swords, but um, he would work on cutting that paper, you know, uh, while he's balanced. And, you know, so a lot of things that they work on are unique in some ways, but some are pretty basic. Mm-hmm. And they, they have a fairly large uh, samurai influence with that stuff, right? They do. You'll see a lot of, uh, you know, they're a little bit, you know, I wouldn't call them the launch angle and the, the right degrees. That's what I'm saying. If we, if they start studying some of the things that we're talking about now, look out. I mean, how much better will they be? It's kind of scary because the numbers are different. You know, we've got 26 million amateur players. They've got possibly, you can never tell, but six to eight million. Um, and they compete well internationally. So, you know, um, some of the things that, that, you know, like we're talking about hitting when you're cutting a piece of paper, you know, as you know, that that wouldn't work because you're cutting through. But if you're cutting with a slight angle, um, degree wise, you know, that would work. And so, yeah, there's, you know, it's kind of scary a little bit what uh, if they get some of the things we're, we're working on right now, it really could make them much better. Well, fantastic. And uh, a recent guest that you had on the show was Bart Honegroff and, and Bart and I have gotten close uh, since we recorded just about this time last year. And and he's in, in the Netherlands uh, with the Dutch baseball team and, and working on all kinds of different levels. And and you recently had him on. So I, I you know, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the Dutch training or just some different things that you learned from him. And then I can add a couple at the end, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. You know, I, you know, as we know, the Dutch not only have great teachers um, and scientists and experts in certain fields and utilize other sports, but, you know, the Dutch have had, and this is a, what I'm a big believer in worldwide and also in the U.S. Um, in educating our coaches. They've got one of the better educational programs in the world. Now, we're talking about Canada, Australia, the Dutch, the, the Cubans. You know, they probably have the top educational programs when it comes to educating their coaches. So I, I'm familiar with the Dutch program, and, and then, you know, when I talked to Bart, just did the interview the other day, um, you know, I was blown away because I've heard a lot about, you know, the motor learning, uh, but I really didn't get into it deep. And I really loved what he talked about, you know, where, you know, they utilize different size bats and, you know, they also, um, you, you know, they get uncomfortable, they get comfortable. And I, what, and first time I think about that getting uncomfortable, meaning, you know, they might be on a, on a board or they might be on a gel pad or, um, you know, while they're hitting, I even asked them, you know, um, while, while you're doing some of these things to, you know, work on your balance and your, and your, and your motor learning, you know, can you also work on your vision at the same time? So could we be throwing baseball, different color baseballs? Could we be asking them to call where the location is right away? You know, we got into that a little bit and I thought that was very interesting because, you know, more than anything, I was trying to learn from him some of the things that maybe I've done in the last two, three years that I thought were unique, you know, do they apply? Do they work according to the motor learning and the skill acquisition? So that's some of the, you know, a few things we talked about there that I thought were interesting. And, uh, you know, the show was fantastic. I told him, keep it simple because some of those complicated words, I, I may not understand real well. Um, and one of the areas that I really liked, which I thought was similar to pitching is when he talked about the decelerator, um, in, in the swing. Um, cause I had asked him, are there certain muscles like there are in pitching where you have to strengthen to decelerate, mm-hmm. but he was talking more about the upper body decelerating. Then he mentioned letting go of the back. Um, that could be a hindrance when it comes to, he actually couldn't get, you can get hurt if you're doing it wrong. So he didn't recommend letting go of the bat, um, unless it was done, you know, the rollover was done after, after you hit the baseball, obviously, and it was done earlier because of the extension. So we talked about those things. I thought that was interesting, too. And I'm sure you've got a lot more than I do when it comes to um, what, what they're doing there. No, and I, I just think that 
they, you know, they did a great job of. So day one, just uh, just for the the summit, uh, was all theory, and then day two was application. So it was really interesting to see how they were actually using it in practice, and uh, and it was a it was a great time, and it it's always for me, and and this is a, re- a big reason why I thought you would be a great fit for the show. I I love getting to see uh, it outside the box, <laughs> in pun intended, but. I, I love to be able to see it from a different lens because, again, we I'm around baseball guys all the time, and a lot of our conversations are very similar. And so uh, sometimes that's good, and sometimes that's like, well, it's uh, let's look at it from a different lens. And and they def- definitely gave me some some things to think about. And and the the there was I think probably eighty percent pro teams there, and and it was great just because you get to see some so many people that that are there trying to learn and. And Bart and and Franz and and Martine and, and those guys, uh, they did a great job. And uh, David Mann was another one who was really good, and he was their their vision expert and talked about gaze and saccades and uh, and it was really good because that's that's something that that I am um, am trying to get better at of, of teaching where to look, when to look, what decisions we need to make because that's a that's a huge part of hitting too. And and so I I loved your conversation with Bart. I, I think he's a, a fantastic hitting coach and and extremely bright. And you mentioned that the, these different coaching academies in Canada and Australia. Uh, tell us a little bit about how other coach, uh, other countries are coaching coaches, because again, it, it seems like most kids grow up playing the game of baseball. So most people think that they have an idea of how to coach it, uh, and that may or may not be true. But how are other coaches, or how are other countries going about coaching their coaches and, and making sure that they're qualified? But you brought up a good point too. You know, it is tougher to coach your own coaches in your own country, even though we have a lot of open coaches. But we're talking about the base, the foundation of the sport, which is our volunteers. You know, when you're mm-hmm. talking about high school, college, most of these guys are educated, they're they're, they're open minded, um, and not saying that there aren't you know volunteers that are open minded. And volunteers are great people. If we didn't have volunteers, we wouldn't have the sport. Um, but it's, to me, it's the most important level. And that's what most countries are, are focusing on that are trying to develop the sport. If you're trying to grow the sport, well, then you better have great coaching because uh, look, Jonathan, and I don't know if you agree with me, but this is just my opinion. Baseball can be boring. And I've been in it 37 years and especially for kids, because, you know, if things aren't moving fast and things aren't, you know, getting better. And it's a game of failure. If they're not doing better, you know, they're going to find something else to do. And I don't blame them. Right. I mean, let's find something we, we enjoy doing, but if you have great coaching at the young levels, and this is where a coach's education comes in, a lot of these countries like Australia and Canada, Cuba, they've been educating their coaches at the volunteer level for years. First of all, they're volunteers. We should be helping them. Um, second of all, if we can develop the volunteers, they can, one, for other countries, they can go out and get kids to play the game, right? They can get them from the schools because they're competing against other sports, which if you look at 99% of other sports, it's all movement. Uh, baseball is a static sport where you stand still, and then you got to move, you got to wait. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when it comes to practice. So if you can educate young, you know, the parents and volunteers, because I'd say a good 80% of coaches around the world are volunteers. There's not many that are getting paid. Um, and if they are, they're not getting paid very much. They're doing it because they love it. So if we can help them in that area in, in, in educating them. So what we've done, even the International Sports Group, just to give you an idea, I belong to a nonprofit. We travel around the world. You mentioned, mm-hmm. um, you know, that I did that. Um, we do it out of, you know, our guys don't get paid much. Um, it's just for the weekend and we give courses and some of the ways that we give courses are ways that we've also learned from other countries and ways that we think can be a lot better. So an example would be, we'll go into a country and first of all, we'll pre 
uh, test the coaches, you know, um, just to get a little bit of their knowledge to see what level they're at. Um, then we'll also do a test on the field. We'll make them do a drill. We'll see how they do, you know, with the other coaches. We'll have them do a drill with the coaches, explain it, do it, uh, show it, do it, the, see how their methods are to see how they're doing it so we can evaluate them. Then we set up the course uh, depending on the level of the coach, and that course consists of, can consist of four or five days um, of some classroom work to go over biomechanics, to go over different videos, which all, you know people love and it keeps their attention. Um, but then we also, the best is to get on the field and have the coaches actually go through all the drills. And that's a lot of fun because coaches are kids, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and if they can, you know, maybe not do it fast, but, you know, go through the motion a little bit, understand how the body moves. And, you know, you, you talk about that a lot, um, you know, how the body moves. Now I can teach it a little bit better. I understand it. I remember in the old days too, we did that. We put all our hitting coaches in the cage. We go through the drills. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and now we can teach the drill much better. And I did that a lot because if I was going to teach something, I sure wanted to feel it and understand it a lot better. Um, so then we, we, you know, we, we put the coaches through all the drills and all, and work through practice organization. And then at the end, we also finish up with an on-field test and also a written test. Um, you know, but prior to the end of the written test, we actually go through the test in the classroom. I think that I love doing that because I think you learn a lot more. Um, obviously we don't have the, the questions lined up perfectly. We mix them up so they, they can't just write down what the answers to the test are. Mm -hmm. Um, they're actually learning from it. So, um, that's kind of a, in a nutshell, how we do the coaches courses and they're critical because, um, that's how, you know, Canada, you look at the countries. I mean, just do the math, Australia, you know, uh, 30 some million people, uh, not as many baseball players, certainly as we do, uh, Canada, same thing. Cuba, we'd be amazed. Everybody thought that Cuba, boy, they got a lot of players. They got 11 million people. And I was astounded because I've done courses in Cuba. And I was fortunate enough, Jonathan, to be the only U.S. coach ever to be giving courses in Cuba prior to the revolution or after. And one thing that I learned, uh, which was amazing, and this is why these guys are so good, um, is that they only have 60,000 players registered to play baseball in Cuba. Really? And yet look at, look at the players that they're producing. You know, we're talking about Dominican Republic. I guarantee you Dominican Republic has more than 60,000 players playing baseball. They have 60,000 just in one city. Um, but the Cubans have throughout their country, but remember the Cubans are structured differently and we could get into that if you have questions about it, but, um, that's a little bit about the coaching program and most of the good countries that have developed the sport at the grassroots level have increased their numbers. Um, and also have com competed at the high level uh, internationally have come from a lot of these countries. Sure. While you're talking about it, go ahead and, and talk about Cuba. Yeah. Cuba is interesting because, you know, as it is closed, um, they're just starting to open up a little internet for some of their people, but normally, you know, the Cuban baseball federation is very organized. The, the, um, Sport is run by the government, obviously, and they're very educated because, you know, the Federation heads up everything um, and they they're, org they, you know, they're able to get on the Internet and get all the information they, they love high tech stuff. They love science. They love technology. You know, they're into all that. In fact, when I was given a course there, one of the coaches asked the question, you know, we're having a little problem because a lot of our kids want to have this launch angle and they're starting to pop up the ball too much, which I was kind of shocked because I'm like, wow, it even got to Cuba. They got to Cuba fast. And, you know, they, they are structured to where they have 16 academies. And I did a whole show on this with the top Cuban coach on uh, baseball outside the box. And they structured academies where they bring in their best players from the ages of 12, to 18 years old, they're housed, fed. They've been doing this for 20 years, 25 years, the house fed in those locations. 
and they train them. They go to school there. You notice now MLB has some academies around the world, like in Italy and Germany and some other areas, thing, even in Brazil. Um, but the Cuba's been doing this for years. On top of it, um, they've done over, I want to say 400, and I may have be wrong in a number a little bit. I can't remember off the top of my head, 400 and some coaching programs um, where they tra- travel around Cuba to wow. continue to educate their coaches. So if you wonder why they're so good, and it's obviously they do it all the time, right? That's all they do. But here's the next amazing thing. And I think you're going to love this one. Um, we think that they play a lot of games. Well, you know, you're sure they play a lot of games, but they actually practice more than they play. And when we went to talk about Japan, same with Japan, same with a lot of other countries. They practice more than they play. Now, the advantage, you know, that the Cubans have is they play a lot of games. So if they play 100 games, you know, they can still practice 200 times. So they outnumber their their games. Um, so, that you know, that's that's some of the things that I think we can learn from the Cubans. And the other thing is, do they train uncomfortable? You know, you hear people complaining about, you know, well, the baseball's too heavy. Oh, really? Well, go to the Dominican. Baseball's different sizes all the time. And then you wonder, you know, the mounds are different. The bases are are uh, potato sacks in the Dominican. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, we don't know the distance of the mound. People go, well, how far is that? Well, we don't know. You know, you got to measure it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's off. Sometimes. So all the things we talk about being uncomfortable, you know, so that way you can get better to get comfortable and learn it. They're already doing it. And I think that's one reason when you look at the Dominican and other Latin countries in Cuba, Cuba's one of the better ones because they're extremely organized. That makes them, you know, a, a lot better than the other countries. But as far as the training aspect goes, they're already training uncomfortable. And that's what I love about that country is they're not worried about the size of the bat, the distance of the mound, how high is the mound, what, you know, is the ball heavier. Um, they just play the game. They love it and they do it all the time. I love that. And, and another thing that seems like to to be a differentiator between the United States and those countries is, is one, it's free play of going and just playing for fun rather than, you know, going to a, a structured practice and running through drills A, B, and C, you know, every other day and, and things like that. And and I think that that's something that, that we can all learn a little bit from it just because, you know, they're when they're in that environment of free play, they're learning on their own rather than being told what to do all of the time. Do you see that too? Oh, absolutely. You hit on a key, boy. You got to love that, don't you? We need to get back to free play. And I know, I don't know if you, I think you've mentioned it also. Um, you know, I talk about it all the time, you know, guys and coaches, look, I don't know everything, but I'm trying to learn as much as I can. But one thing I do know, we need to get back to free play and then we need to incorporate it within our practices. You know, one day a week, whatever you're doing, just let the guys play a game on their own. Let them do their thing. Watch. Don't say anything. Let them, you know, learn by the mistakes. Look at the instincts that a lot of Latin players have. I mean, I take Javi Baez as a great example of, you know, of a, of a, player that plays the game by instincts. Nowadays, players are controlled hundred percent. It seems like, you know, we don't, we don't allow them to play the game. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a lot more fun when I can make some decisions and the younger we start teaching kids to make these decisions. Sure. They're going to fail, but if you're open with them and you're, and they understand that failure is going to be part of it. That's why you're making a decision. Cause you're going to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. You know, go ahead and steal a base, go ahead and call a pickoff play, go ahead and pick the guy off at first. You know, go ahead and take an extra base because the ball is in front of you. Do some things because that's exciting. That's fun. That's creative. Um, that allows kids to really, you know, open up and have some fun playing the game. So I think we need to get back to that 100% with you. Um, and I think some guys are doing it. There's no doubt. But I think we need to educate more players, parents, and coaches about that. Oh, that's that's fantastic. And and uh, something that, you know, again, we can all we can all learn from and 
And so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, what you've learned lately. You're a guy that travels the world and you've been in the game for uh, decades, right? And, and not to, you, I would say you're more seasoned than old. So let's, let's go with that, but let, <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. But let's, let's talk about your learning and, and it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's something that has motivated me listening to you talk and listening to your podcast and you're continuing to learn because I think that that's something that, that I don't ever want to stop. I don't ever want to stop learning and, th- and think that I have, have arrived. And you're, again, you're a person who, who I respect a ton just because of that aspect. You're a continued learner and, and you've been around for so long and you've been around the game for so long. But what, what is something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited? Well, I think, you know, more than anything is going to be the technology. You know, I know people sometimes frown upon it, you know, and, uh, What's scary for me a little bit is that technology is going so fast. You know, the science is, you know, and I was with Tom House for many years. So I've come from a little bit of a science background because I've learned from him. Um, and, and it can be mind boggling and it's speeding up so fast. So I'm excited about trying to keep up with the technology aspect because I really believe um, that what we're doing is, you know, we're utilizing technology to tell us, are we doing it correctly? So it's kind of a, a barometer, you know, are we heading in the right direction? That's what I love about the technology aspect, either when it comes to hitting or pitching, or even when it comes to defense, uh, what are we doing defensively? So I think more than anything is the technology is what I'm trying to learn more and more and trying to apply it and trying to get coaches to be open-minded about it, because I think some coaches can be shut down. Um, now, you know, on the, on the flip side, we, we've also had some, you know, things that have been taught lately that, Unfortunately, it isn't the first time that it's been taught because it's been taught many years back, but we just didn't realize that we just called it something else. Um, so filtering through that um, is exciting for me, too, because remember, we're teaching coaches now. Um, sometimes I get called to teach teams and I love working with teams in a, in a game in a team aspect practice. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're teaching coaches. So I'm trying to teach them, you know, how to be open-minded. Why should we be open-minded? Um, how, how's it going to benefit us to be open-minded? What are some of the different teaching techniques that are different than, uh, you know, one example would be, you know, you hear it a lot now with some, some of the real top coaches. Are you asking questions to players um, or are you just telling them what to do? Because I think questions can help a great deal when players are involved together in the process. So I think that the technology aspect for me is exciting. That's where I look forward to even getting better and better. That's why I love talking to guys like Bart Hanegraaff. You know, we've talked about the modus sleeve. I've had Ben Hansen on and I'm going to have him on again um, because I'm really interested in learning more and more about the body, how it moves and technology helps us with a lot of this. Um, and then I can also take that information and give it to coaches worldwide to make sure they understand it. So that way they can increase their ability to teach. And I think that's where I'm excited about more than anything. I love that. And so the next question that I have for you is, is it's one that, you know, we've all got our biases and we all have things that, you know, it may go against analytics. It may not. It may go against what other coaches believe. And, and it's something that, that we have, we have uh, it, you know, confirmed with our bias. But what's something that you believe that other coaches may disagree with you about or you may have a passionate discussion about, uh, at times. Oh, I love that question, Jonathan. That's an awesome question, man. That's a good one because, you. you know, and I, and I like what you said, you know, discussion, because, you know, a couple of times I put some stuff on Twitter and sometimes people attack you. It's like, Oh, relax, buddy. Yeah. You know, we're Tying all in this shoes. together, you know, 
Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, exactly. You caught that one. I mean, be careful because sometimes the comments may not be exactly what, you know, you think I meant by that. So maybe ask a question first before you start tearing in the people. And I, that's why, you know, I think social media is great, but I think it, it's great if we use it properly. And I'm like you, I'm, I'm a person who loves to discuss. I can tell you, uh, you can change my mind, no doubt about it, as long as you show me some science, some results some areas that, that, that can really help. But to answer your question, um, the reason I love this question is because I've done some things that are, it can be a little different. And, and I tell coaches this all the time. Don't always do what coaches taught you. Even, even 10 minutes ago, if there's something you come up with, be creative yourself. Think outside the box yourself, not just what you've been taught or what science is showing you. But I'll give you an example. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in having parents involved in all our discussions. Now, if you're confident, you can do this because now we're actually talking to the players and all our meetings. I love having parents involved in it because now they get an idea where we're coming from. Communication's open. We're talking to the players, um, but we're actually talking to the parents also. Now, as a coach, if you're confident, you, you know what you're talking about and you, uh, you know, believe in what you're doing, you have a passion, you should have no problem with the parents there um, because actually you'll get them on your side. Because a lot of times they may sit back and say, wow, you know what? I thought I knew something about the game. I really don't. This guy knows what he's talking about. Um, and there's some ways to, to work with that. So that's one area. Another one I believe in is uh, mentors. I believe that we should have mentors evaluating us constantly in practices and games. We should go out of our way and ask certain mentors, certain people that we respect and say, listen, Jonathan, come out to my practice. Love to see you. Uh, out there. I want you, I want your opinion. What am I doing in my practice? Right. Maybe I can do better. Also evaluating my skills when it comes to games, communication, uh, decisions. Uh, that's another area I love uh, talking about. A um, couple things I did differently that uh, we've had some discussions about uh, timing wise when it comes to hitting. I have a drill that I've used for 15 years where I stop at contact. And now a lot of people are using it now, um, but I've had some discussions with some top people. Reggie Smith's a good friend of mine. He loves it. He was doing it, and I didn't realize he was doing it. Um, but when you stop at contact, to me, that makes you work on the aspect of one, picking up the ball, because I believe vision is the number one thing when it comes to anything you're doing in the sport. And I don't understand why we're not focusing first on that 100%. Two, when you, work, when you have to stop at contact, you have to time the ball because if the guy throws it slower, which he's going to, because it's going to be another player doing that, or he throws it faster, you have to time that. Um, and now we start to understand where is the barrel in reference to the ball when you make contact. That gives us a great, great visual aspect too. So I love doing that. And the other thing that I do a little bit differently than some guys, and I practice it between innings, I'm a big believer you can train your players during the games because coaches always ask me, you know, how do I, I find more training time? Well, one area you can find training time is during practices. Um, I mean, excuse me, during games. But what are we doing? Don't waste your time. You know, when you're taking throws down to second base every inning, why, th why, why is the second baseman a shortstop? I question is why are they standing on the base or one guy's backing up? Why aren't we creating that like a real situation? Why aren't we throwing the third base? Because the catcher does that. Why aren't we throwing the first base? Because the catcher does that. Now we're practicing different situations. Um, I actually take between innings, and I do it depending on the inning, because we do something different every inning. Um, first inning, we might take a ground ball at us. Second inning, backhands. Third inning, uh, you know, forehands. Fourth inning, we might drop the ball, pick it up, and throw it. But that players might do that according to what their needs are also and what they need to work on. But the other thing we do is each position takes a ball out. And I had the right, the first baseman throwing a ball out to right field. 
and the right fielder, whether it's a fly ball or ground ball, has to throw it to the first baseman. First baseman fakes a cutoff home, then he throws it back. And we're doing this while the pitcher's warming up. We do the same thing with second and short. We do the same thing with third. They're throwing the third base. Um, and second and short, obviously, center field's throwing the second. Why are we doing this? Because we're looking for ways to continuously practice. Because I questioned why are we playing catch between innings, between outfielders, when we never throw the ball that way. Yes, we're warming up, but we never throw the ball from right field to center field. And the same thing with our position guys. So we're all, I'm always trying to figure out new ways to kind of create, you know, a way to practice constantly and never sit. You're, you're in a game unless you're focused on the game while it's going on. But between innings, we can also do a lot of different training. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And, you know, uh, it leads me into my next question. We're talking about training. So if we were a fly on the wall and we came to watch you give a, let, let's say a coach, well, you can go either way with this if you want to, but uh, we either watched you do a coach's uh, clinic on a field or a training session on a field. What would be a couple of things that we would notice or a couple of things that would stand out? Ooh, ah, you love this one too. Well, I'll tell you what, one is energy, passion, fun. Um, you got to have that. If you, you know, if you're one of these guys just, you know, that's boring, well, why do I want to be there? You know, I want to get the kids excited. And when I do a coaching course, it's all about having fun with the coaches. Why? Because when they're having fun, now their attention is a little bit more. We know they only retain 10% of what they've listened to, but maybe we can retain 12 by having a little bit more fun. Then they walk away thinking more. So I think you're going to see me where, you know, a lot of movement, you know, a lot of talking, not, not talking as far as teaching, but just getting kids excited about doing it, you know, motivation, positive things, um, asking them questions, I think is another thing, including competition. Um, and a lot of things we do, um, you know, music, uh, letting players make certain decisions. Um, that's what you'll see in the practice that we'll run. And at the beginning of practice, the first couple of weeks, I try to do something a little bit different. Like an example would be when we're throwing, we do it in command. So I have our players, you know, six on one side, say six on the other. And I do this with the coaches too. And I show them why I do this for organization and for some discipline. I had then, you know, I have a whistle. I always have a whistle and we whistle. And when we whistle, they throw the ball to their partner and we whistle, they throw it back and whistle, throw it back. Sometimes they throw the ball away, but we continue to go. Why do we continue to go? Because we want that player to hustle. We'll get the baseball. Cause if we tell them to hustle, a lot of times they may not, but kids don't want to miss that session. So they run after the ball, they get back into it and we're still going. And the reason we do it this way, because we create some discipline, some organization, and also gives us a chance to see the players a lot better because it's like a, like a, like a bad picture. When you, one row is throwing, you're going to see something incorrect in that picture. But when they're all throwing whenever they want, um, that, you know, it's harder to pick up something that a player is doing. So that's what we might see a little early on, but I think more than anything, the energy, the passion, the fun, and sometimes the correction also of some of the things and making sure that we don't let them get away with certain things because, you know, we're there for their best interest. And that's the main thing is to make sure we're there to help them the best way we can and letting them get away with things because we don't want to tell a player to change something. Well, that's incorrect. I think we need to make sure that we're helping them make some changes if those changes are needed. So that's what you see when you come to one of my practices, whether coaches or players. No, I really, I like that a lot. And in about a month, I'm actually helping uh, Union run a free community clinic for uh, just the youth and volunteer coaches that are around. And so the staff and I were talking the other day about, you know, some different themes that, that we want to cover. And, and I think that one of the biggest ones was things that we have to reteach. 
or things that we have to teach that they should that we assume that they should potentially know and that the biggest one was being able to play catch i mean it's it's something that we have to reteach and we have to we all we honestly have to stand out and make a game out of it and i think that i've interviewed even guys in pro ball that have said you know how do you develop command you learn how to play catch correctly and, and it's something that that for our listeners who are youth in, or who are in the youth uh realm or even all the way up to pro ball i think that that's something that we can all that resonates with all of us absolutely and i'm telling you if you have it where at the beginning you you know because i show it to them like okay go ahead and play catch and then you see balls flying everywhere and, and people not concentrating because we tell kids all the time concentrate well what does that mean? Concentrate. Um, how do I do it? Now you're, you're a psychologist, you know, maybe you have a better understanding of this, but you know, for me, I've got to get the kids to understand how to do this, not by telling them, but by showing them. So what I'll do then is go into this specific drill and it's a lot more fun for the kids because as I whistle that group throws to the, their partner, then I whistle throw back. The other thing that happens is because they're doing it as a group, they don't want to miss the ball. Now the, the other partner is moving to catch the baseball. Um, and the other thing we add is if, if the other partner can't catch it and they gave hundred percent to catch it, they jumped up. Well, the person that threw the ball away goes and gets it. Not the person that was supposed to catch it because that's not fair to the person catching it. So we switched the two, um, that person goes and gets it. Now to me, that gets them to concentrate a little bit more on what they're trying to do. Um, and then we help them obviously with, you know, if they're having problems with throwing the ball too high, you might tell them, you know, lower your vision throw the ball down. We have drills for that. But I think when you're doing it as a team, it's a lot more fun. And we started off that way. And then as we get into later on into the practices, we may change. And I think that's something that's important to understand too. Practices need to change. I mean, you may still try and accomplish the same thing, but you need to be doing something different. Um, and players a lot of times don't realize that, that you're doing something different, but yet at the same time, it's accomplishing the exact same thing you're doing. And what you said about throwing, that needs to be number one on the board. If they can't throw and catch, we can't play this game. And number two for the volunteer coaches, which is really tough, and I hope you'll focus on this, the area they really, because I've worked with volunteers for over 35 years um, doing the seminars in the States, um, one, and I actually devised five videotapes specifically for volunteer coaches to help them out. And the reason I did that was because one of the areas they struggled in, which is tough, and it's tough for you or for me, imagine being a volunteer with not as much equipment, not as much many baseballs, you know, uh, only one coach, possibly two, uh, knowledge-wise, maybe not, you know, to the level of, of yourself and some others in the game, and they got to run a practice. Well, that's not easy. That's where you're going to lose your kids. If you don't know how to run a fun, organized movement practice, where something you do at the beginning of practice is fun, something you do at the end, you mix it in with some kind of game in the middle, you do something different all the time that keeps kids moving. You don't know how to do that properly, you're going to lose kids. And that's why we've lost kids in the past um, because kids under the age of 12 have dropped out of the sport simply because they're not having fun in practice and they don't like the coaches. So that's why we tried to educate in that area. Sure, that that makes a sense. And again, it, it's baseballs are really... It's a hard sport to not have success in, and uh, it's if you can't play catch and and you can't you know at the lower levels put the ball in play at, as a hitter consistently, it's going to be really hard to uh, keep those kids hooked and hooked up for a long period of time. Which I know that we we all wish we had more numbers in in baseball. And and uh, the final question that I want to ask you before we uh, before we we go is is some of what are some of your favorite resources and books that have that have helped shape your coaching career? And it could be something from earlier in your career, or it could be something that you've run across lately. 
Sure. Um, I'm not a huge reader, and that's probably because I didn't do it when I was young. But I've read some books. Uh, there's three books that come to mind right away. The Power of Habits, which is by Charles Duhigg, talks about habits and how you create a 20-year history um, research of how to create habits and break habits. The other one is Legacy, teaching, you know, building a culture by the all blacks. Um, that's an outstanding book. Uh, also Alex Ferguson's leading, uh, it's called leading the Manchester United coach. He won 19 championships. Why did I, why did I like that? Because it, it talks about leadership. It talks about learning, but I'm a big podcast person. Cause I, wa- I have a uh, tradition, you know, I, I keep a kind of a, a daily program. I, I love, I walk my dogs for an hour, you know, twice a day, and then I also go work out for an hour. And at that time, it's a great time to listen to podcasts. So I've got several podcasts I listen to. One is yours. Um, my good buddy, Jeff Crochelle, major league guy with athletic development called Crush Performance. There's some youth ones that I recommend highly, Cornerstone Coaching Academy and also uh, Youth Baseball Edge. Mm-hmm. Those are two outstanding ones. Um, the Motor Sleeve, I listen to that. And also Entree Leadership. So I know there's a lot of great ones out there, but I, what I recommend is try to find as many as you can and kind of look at the topics and then kind of bounce around. I'm one of these guys who like to bounce around, learn different things. It keeps me a little bit more entertained, you know, um, because I'm challenged sometimes by, uh, by staying on one thing only and, uh, and focusing only on one thing. I love to bounce around a little bit. That makes a little sense. Well, fantastic. Well, Pete, uh, I, I've really enjoyed our time today and it's always a, an enlightening conversation with you. And, and if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, I, I know that they could find you on iTunes or at probably most places that people listen to podcasts uh, at, uh, coaching outside the box with Pete Caliendo and, and, uh, what, what, what would be a way that they could connect with you directly? Yeah, Johnson. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I look forward to having you on my show. Um, I'm on Twitter at Baseball Out. I've got uh, ba- Better Baseball also on Twitter. Instagram, Caliendo.Peter. I'm on Facebook, Baseball Outside the Box. You can also email me at Peter Caliendo, att.net. Hey, you're also welcome to call me on my cell phone or text, uh, 847-997-3898. Um, love to hear from coaches. Um, and, and again, thanks, man. This has been uh, just an outstanding, outstanding uh, time with you. And I look forward to, have, like I said, having you on my show. Of course. And I'll open up the mic for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? You know what? I just like to talk to, you know, mention all the coaches out there. Um, you know, if you're at a higher level, um, you know, do us all a favor, man. Try to help your younger level coaches, your volunteers. I've talked about it earlier. I don't want to beat a, you know, a horse all the, you know, all the time, just keep beating on it. But I really believe coaches education is the key to developing the sport, building it up. So we have a responsibility. If we're in the game full time, if we're a college coach, high school coach, pro guy, you know, go down to the grassroots level, help your volunteers. They really need it. Uh, They appreciate it. They love it. Try to do some coaching programs for them. Don't think that, hey, oh, they're volunteers. They don't have the time. They'll come out, maybe have a couple of them, give them a couple dates. They'll come out, try to help educate them as best as they can. Because remember, they're working with the foundation of our sport, our young players, in order to keep them in the game, they've got to be really good at it and they want to do that. So they just need some help. Um, so I encourage you to do that. And I encourage you to keep listening to all the different podcasts. And again, thank you to Jonathan for having me on the show. It's been an honor and a pleasure. And I look forward again, um, you know, to having Jonathan on the show and anybody, anytime reach out to me, be glad to help out any way I can. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. 
And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.